Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 143, Shades of Grey. <laughs> hey, remember that time we started the show like Armas, you know, that, 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 that tar guy? Yeah. That was, that was cool. Hey, remember that time that um, that I did that bad accent in, in the episode, and, oh, and yeah. people were yeah, like, "Oh, that accent's like yeah, terrible." Right. That's yeah. yeah, you did the voice. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, that was awesome. Yeah. Hey, remember that time that we uh, that we uh, referenced Dune uh, during oh, the show? Yeah that that was um, that was that, that was every time on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, we could do this for like three fifths of today's show. Well, we could. We could, or or we could just let people know that, that this is Mission Log, the mm. Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Today's episode can the very end of season two of Next Generation, Shades of Grey. I feel silly insisting on this part because we could certainly cut it in from almost any episode that we've done, maybe even any episode that we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should say who we are. I'm Ken Ray. Oh, and I'm John Champion. Yeah, and and really, if if I had more time, I would just cut this part in from another. But it would take too long to not say it, so I'll just say each week what we do is we go through an episode of Star Trek, uh, culling messages, morals, and meanings, and trying to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. As John mentioned, this week is Shades of Grey, and interestingly, it sounds like at the end of season two, they did the same thing that we do every week. <laughs> they, just, <laughs> they watched Star Trek and went, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, let's uh-huh. that in. Okay, that'll be fine. Yeah, let's put that in. What are we, up to 48 minutes yet? That's yeah, lunch. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Get it out there and uh, see what sticks. Yes, yeah, indeed. That's very true. Although, you know, it's interesting because there's no way that people would not know if the introduction to the show is something that you had pre-recorded and put it out there. That's and in true. fact, I, I would say that if you were to tell people how to contact us, they may not know if that was pre-recorded. Well, maybe I'll do something to make sure that people do know that this is something they never heard before. <laughs> Mission Log is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Oh, boy. That's if you want to leave us, uh, leave us some sort of written something. Uh, you can also uh, leave us a voicemail, 323-522-5641. That number again is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Yes. All right. So, Ken, uh, today I promise you all new non-recycled trivia. How's that? That's going to be a neat trick, my friend. Okay. So, uh, today's story is by Maurice Hurley. Oh, see, I'm already recycling trivia from previous <laughs> episodes. <laughs> it was written by, uh, the teleplay was written by Hurley along with uh, Hans Bamler and Richard Manning, and it was directed by Robert Bowman. Um, now, as we have been alluding to in our introduction, this is a clip show, and it was designed that way to save money. See also the menagerie. Um, we talked a lot in this season about how the budget got spread out during season two. So you could spend a lot of money on a show like Q Who, where you've got costumes, you've got Borg, you've got matte paintings, you've got new set pieces, as long as you borrowed that from another episode. Well, when you get to the end of the season, you realize you have no more money left. What do you do? You pad. You pad like crazy. Um, I would also say see Jump the Shark, although 
I think arguably very much so. This is not a jump the shark moment for next gen. This is maybe just sort of a, uh, well, a detour for next gen. But clip shows have been around for a long time. All shows have done clip shows, pretty much. CSI, Friends, MacGyver, The Outer Limits, Mythbusters, Stargate SG-1, even MASH, our beloved MASH, did a clip show. Different strokes, family ties, and then the classic episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, A Blast for Buck. Now, if you want to see other places where clip shows maybe hurt or derailed a show, um, you could look at Jump the Shark, although Jump the Shark is gone, so now you have to go to Bone the Fish bonethefish.com so uh, take a look there and you can also just go to Wikipedia and look up Clip Show and see who was successful at it and who was bad at it I have, I have a crazy question Yeah. aside from Shades of Grey mm-hmm. do you have a favorite Clip Show because there were two that kept playing in my mind um, and it's not like they're favorites although one is actually a favorite well, well favorite as in it's good or favorite as in it's memorable because favorite two- as in it's actually good Oh, okay. Because I, I think the MASH one kind of works. All right. Because uh, you put it in the context of a reporter. Oh, right, right, right. Remember? That is a clip show. Oh, they did that yeah. like a couple of times, I think. Yes, yeah. that one was yeah. actually fantastic because they did so it like the old, um, uh, the old voice, not Voice of America, but they did it like, like the a old, newsreel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that that, one was that great. actually works really well. Um, and and I, I honestly, I think the Buck Rogers one is just so goofy. All right. It, it's just like, it's not good, but. It stands out to me. <laughs> For some reason, the Family Ties clip show actually kept going through my head. And I don't, oh, really? And I don't know why, but I wish I, wish I could make it not. Hmm. That would have been fantastic for me. But the clip show, and it's not really a clip show, but at the, at, towards the end of the run of, wait for it, Moonlighting. Oh! <laughs> there was like some sort of something between Dave and Maddie, but at the very end of the show, they just did like a montage of, I want to say maybe three minutes of, of like looks and, 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 and sort of like the chemistry between uh, those two characters. Oh, and it, right, it really yeah. just reminded you of how awesome that show was at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it harkened back to better times, I guess would be I, the I, thing. I kind of give a pass to shows that are doing it at the very end. Like mm-hmm. if you're doing your final episode as a recap and a clip show, that that you're kind of giving yourself a little bit of a send off. I, no, I, sure. I disagree. You, I mean, you, I, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 last episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. Quite possibly the biggest disappointment in television. Oh sure. And yes, oh, sure. I understand that Brian Williams has happened at this point. I understand that there were. Uh, <laughs> Cop Rock, I think, was actually a show that got greenlit mm-hmm. and made it to air. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the 1970s whatever Spider-Man where he couldn't actually swing from anything, but he rode a mm-hmm. motorcycle. There are lots of disappointments in television. Yeah. I think the uh, the season finale of Seinfeld or the series finale of Seinfeld was part of it. They yeah. ended on a clip show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, they did. just sort, yeah. Of a, sort of a horrible thing. But enough about other shows. Yeah, the framework around it didn't work. But yes, all right, so more about this show. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I've seen the title written gray or gray, G-R-E-Y-G-R-A-Y. Um, so I, I just wanted to make absolutely sure that uh, in the U.S., typically G-R-A-Y. Elsewhere in the English-speaking world, it's usually G-R-E-Y, but both are totally acceptable. Yes. <laughs> so I've seen both as people comment to us. Um, this is a picture wrap for Diana Muldar. She is, uh, th- this was the last stuff that she filmed for Star Trek The Next Generation. Wait, so, uh, what? Yeah. yeah what? I, uh, I know, I'm so, so <laughs> sorry to have to break it's it to you. It's really again. too bad. It really is too bad. 
Yeah, it is. It, it is. It, there's no question about it. Um, but this is the last uh, new stuff that we will see of Diana Muldaur as Dr. Pulaski on uh, Next Generation or any Star Trek. This is also a wrap for co-executive producer Maurice Hurley. Now, Hurley left in a fit of uh, you're fired slash I quit. We've talked about those incidents before. Um, and he was last credited as producer on this episode, though he stuck around during the hiatus long enough uh, for development on the beginning of season three. Um, around that time, he called in a friend, Michael Piller, to work on some early season three scripts. And, well, we'll have to see if Piller sticks around and what he might be able to contribute to the ongoing success of The Next Generation. Um, also a shout out here to Eric Stilwell. He was a PA at the time, and we will be hearing much more about him down the road. Uh, but Eric Stilwell was tasked with picking out the clips. And finally, composer Ron Jones, I've mentioned a few times, is uh, uh, having some standout musical accompaniment to some of the scenes. So we have some original music but Ron Jones also recorded new music to go over the clips to sort of help meshing those clips together. So we do get new music here. That was actually a question that was brought up by one of our Twitter uh, followers wanted to know if that was new or uh, original to the scenes that they had pulled. Riker is not the only one who deserves a clip show. Hey, remember that time I calculated pi to the last digit? That was funny. Prologue. On Serata 4, a planet that looks an awful lot like Dagobah, Geordi LaForge finds that Commander Riker has his leg hurt by some unknown injury. He calls for a beam-up, but Chief O'Brien says he can't do that since there are unidentified microbes now swimming through Riker's bloodstream. Dr. Pulaski is called in to investigate. She beams down to see how Riker is doing, and she approves to have them both beamed up so Riker can get treated in sickbay. When he gets there, his leg goes numb. Act 1. Riker is taking things pretty well, all things considered. Dr. Pulaski's identified that this alien microbe is interfering with the nerve cells in the commander's body. It will work its way up his spine and to his brain, eventually killing him. She'll need more time to study it, so Data and LaForge are dispatched back to the planet to bring back a sample. What they find is a vine, seemingly harmless at first, but it lashes out at LaForge. Data grabs it quickly enough that they can take a sample back to the ship. They were surrounded by animal remains and fossils, which would indicate that this vine, and others like it, feed by neutralizing warm-blooded creatures. Riker was on the menu until the others intervened. Act 2. Dr. Pulaski is having a difficult time finding a cure. Riker is having a relatively easier time turning on his sense of humor. Picard delivers the grim news with professional efficiency, but Riker takes it in stride. This was an accident based on the plant's instinct, not malice. Deanna stops by to cheer up Riker, and then he goes into a coma. The infection is spreading, and it will likely infect Riker's brain in less time than it will take to get to the closing credits. In an effort to slow the infection, Dr. Pulaski uses a neural stimulator, kind of a 24th century version of that thing Doc Brown used to read Marty's mind. She switches it on, and hey... Commander Riker's mind just beamed him back down to the fifth episode of season one with no beard. Act three. Dr. Pulaski can't control what the neural patterns are that she's stimulating. Wait, scratch that. She can now. Riker is essentially in a dream state and, whoa, remember the first time we all saw the holodeck and met Commander Data? Yeah. 
And remember that time Riker tried to show Wesley how to talk to women by hitting on Guinan? Mm-hmm. Slow dissolve into that time Riker was saying goodbye to Deanna when he thought he might be taking command of the USS Ares. Wait, 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 wait. Jump back to Riker in a coma, and Deanna is there to say that he is relaxed. Clearly. Pulaski sees that the stimulation has had an effect on the dangerous microbes, so how about some more memories? Cut to the planet where everyone is blonde, half-naked, and jogging everywhere. Want to just stick around here for a while? Cool. Oh, wait, sorry. Dissolve too? Well, well, hello there, Minuet. You haven't changed since we met you on the holodeck. Sorry, we'll have to leave you here yet again while Riker remembers snuggling up next to Beata on Angel One. Was that chest-bearing, deep-cut, flowy shirt just a dream? No, it was real too. Not enough? Okay, jump to Brenna in Riker's quarters where she's still trying to get her feet washed and wearing that sweater that clearly isn't keeping her warm. Exciting stuff, right? Well, all those memories are making the infection grow at an even faster rate, and who can blame it? Act 4. All those sexy memories were doing more harm than good. No problem. Pulaski will change up the amplitude on her brain machine and see what happens. Remember that crew member called Tasha Yar? Yeah. Yeah, remember she died. And remember that time Deanna had a child? Remember he died too? Well, it's time to celebrate. Those negative emotions are slowing the growth of the infection in Riker's nervous system. Time for some more. Remember that time that Riker served as first officer on a Klingon ship and he kicked the butt of his second officer? That was a rush. And remember the time that the old man nearly kicked Riker's butt and he wanted to force feed him a nasty little alien slug? Yeah, that's making Riker sweat. The microbe growth is slowing again. Deanna says turn it up. So the doctor does. Act 5. Let's see, where were we? The brain machine hooked up to Riker is creating negative emotions, not slowing the growth of infection. Crank it up again. Remember the time a bunch of drug addicts created a prime directive nightmare for Picard and tried to take Riker hostage? And remember that time when we first met the Ferengi and they had laser whips? And how about that time the oil slick that killed Tasha Yar almost killed Riker? Boy, those were the days her mother warned you about, am I right? As for Riker's infection, it's working. So, let's have some more, shall we? You want stress and negative emotions? Hang on. Remember that time that Riker and Picard set the auto-destruct on the Enterprise? No, not, not that time, the other time. Yeah. And remember that time that Riker met three Klingons who then tried to take over the Enterprise? Deanna says, hey, look, it's working. Dr. Lasky says, we have less than four minutes until the closing credits. I'm going to crank this thing up to 11. Stand by for a quick-cut pain montage. There's Ferengi fighting, drug-addicted hostage takers, an angry oil slick, Data doing computer stuff, Klingon punching, an ominous countdown, Solian warriors shooting at each other, the Sielowski getting blown up, and finally, some of that Remick head debris. It was all too little too late, and Riker died. Ah, screw it. Riker's fine. He tells a joke the end. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> it's all too little, too late. He's dead. That's awesome. <laughs> if you see, that would have been a bold, bold move. That right? would have been, you know, well, it would have been weird. Yeah, that would have been a Joss the, Whedon move. It, it would have been, except yeah. Joss Whedon would have killed him in the first thirty seconds of the show, <laughs> kind of like when they killed Tasha Yar. Yeah, and then just yeah. left us all sitting there going, "Okay, we got all this other stuff to get through," and then at the very end of it, you're like, "Wait a minute, did, did somebody die in this episode?" <laughs> Right. And, and like stay dead? My goodness. Yeah. You know what's funny to me? We got so yeah. many uh, so many comments about this episode. I want to say like two or three weeks before we recorded it, they started coming in. 
Oh, yeah. What's amazing to me is how angry people are about a clip show decades later. Because as you and I sit here and record this, we are decades past when this show (laughs) was actually produced. And I got to say, it is not like they added a small child to the cast. I mean, (laughs) come on. Nothing like that would ever happen. Gee whiz. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I brought up the the jump. Just uh, excuse me. The jump the shark thing. Yeah. Because jump the shark usually indicates, okay, the show will never recover from this moment. Right. Based on, by the way, for people who don't know what that's from. Right. And it's so sad that we're old enough that we totally remember this. And people, <laughs> remember some people who don't. Yeah, exactly. Well, not live, but as, well, it, as it was time, first yeah. broadcast, yes. Yeah. Uh, Fonzie in his leather jacket on Happy Days uh, jumped a shark because we were, we were around, we had, a, we had a combination of Jaws and Evil Knievel going at the time. I want to say Fonzie was probably most inspired by the whole Evil Knievel thing. And and if any of those words sound foreign to you, like Fonzie or Evil Knievel, <laughs> just go away. Learn your history. I'm going to be Picard yeah. here, okay? Learn your history, number one. Right. Everybody needs to know about Evil Knievel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, Henry Winkler was an avid uh, water skier. So that, this was the thing that just sort of wrote in yeah. to give him something to do because he was right. a breakout star and, and yeah. uh, Richie was already gone. He had been a breakout star. I, yeah. I mean, at this yeah, point, yeah, I would yeah, say, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that, that's that's how we get the term jump the shark. I mean, yeah, that right, really does right, say where is. the show was yeah. at that point. Seriously, when he's out there water skiing in his leather jacket, that's no way to treat leather. That is salt water. That is, that, <laughs> I, that, uh, I understand riding your bike in the rain in your leather jacket because it's your armor. But, dude, you don't sure. take your armor and dip it in salt. You just don't. And no. any any good night will tell you. They'll tell you that. Good night. Okay. Good. Uh, oh, hey. Um, <laughs> But it is funny, though, and this is a bit of mission log trivia. I think we got the most preemptive <laughs> email and Twitter and Facebook comments of any episode, and I'm including Spock's brain. Yeah. I got One other thing I got to say, too, and sometimes I say this, and I think it probably just sounds perfunctory. You did so much more in that recap than I would have <laughs> even thought about doing. Like, really? I, I was really? kind of bummed that you got this and I didn't because I figured, you know, easiest recap ever. Right. And you went, you went the extra mile, man. So, well, I appreciate that. I mean, but, but here's the thing: you know, you, you could just say, okay, Riker gets hit with a virus right. and uh, he passes out, and uh, uh, Pulaski simulates his brain, and then you you go through a list of all the uh, the previous clips. And, and here's the thing: you know, we we could have actually gone back through and and you know copied and pasted all the the moments <laughs> from those episodes, but yeah. but but Who, then who's got the extra of, month? I know, right? It, yeah. it takes a long time to do it, and you also kind of lose the context there yeah. because our clips are written in a different context from the way that those are shown. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a little a little weird, but uh, but we'll move on. And, and thank you for that. I, I felt like once I started writing, there was more to say. Sure, it still runs a little short. Um, all right, Chief O'Brien. He, he makes a joke to Pulaski about how he hopes he has the right coordinates for the transporter. I I would hate that. Yeah, no kidding. I would seriously hate that. There are things in my life that I fear, and if you make fun of those things, yeah. I will become very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, and and he yeah. does it because he knows that Pulaski uh, doesn't like the transporter. Yeah, which is an even worse reason to do that, as you say, things that you don't like. Let's not talk about them. I mean, right. especially if it's something that you're going to have to do. Right. I will say, though, there's no bedside manner on anyone's part in this episode. <laughs> O'Brien's all like, oh, hope I don't lose you, you know, <laughs> to somebody who hates the transporter. Meanwhile, they get back up to sickbay and Pulaski is all, you know, tells, tells uh, 
tells Picard, yeah, Commander Riker could die, um, like seven inches from from Riker. Yeah, you expect him to say, "I can hear you." Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm yet. right here. I am yeah. right here in your side. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're whispering, but I, I'm right here. Yeah, we learned a cool thing about the transporter that it makes its, its diagnosis while someone is still on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I thought that is a really good computer because I always assumed it was going on when the pattern was beamed up and compared to the existing prior pattern. Mm-hmm. It's, it's doing know? like a little pre-caching. Yeah, yeah, it seems. Although if, it, if it's doing that, why can't it just say, "Well, I'm I'm just going to rebuild Riker," but without that? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He may forget that he was on the planet. Oh my goodness! This may be the one thing that makes this episode not work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh-huh. Actually, it was Angel One clips that made this episode not work. Oh, I'm kidding. No, same. what? I haven't said whether okay, this episode works yet. or not. No, no, absolutely um, not. So, uh, unknown, potentially deadly thing. So we send more people down there, mm-hmm. not, not, not robots, not probes, mm-hmm. not, not just a transporter scan. We send people. And also they might be inhaling even more microbes that they don't know about or, or anything, anything. So lucky the first landing party didn't beam down and then just drop dead. Well, you got to figure, though, it was a physical thing. What I don't understand is how Riker didn't see a vine that big hit him or snag him <laughs> right. because right. it actually it actually has to. How it knows, you know, which side the thorn should be on, I don't know. But the thorn is on what I guess we will call the underside. Mm-hmm. And it's only when a person comes near it that it actually, you know, snags them. Yeah. But, I mean, the whole thing moves. And, and the vine is going up into a tree, and it's and it's about as thick as, um, well, you know, it's uh, like uh, thick as a brick. I can't really think of anything, <laughs> so I just did a song line, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, it moves really quickly. And how Riker did not see that happen, it, it, I, I just don't understand at all. Yeah, I'm also curious why the remains uh, left by the plant are mostly fossilized, and that's right. what that's what Data said. They're mostly fossilized. Does this thing only right. eat every like several thousand years? Because there's no animal life within. I think he said 50 meters or something. Are the animals on that planet intelligent enough to go? Yeah, don't go over there. Nobody comes back from there. It's just a bunch of <laughs> bunch of statues of things like us. Seriously, don't go. Don't yeah. go anywhere near it. Well, he even corrects uh, Jordy about how they would not have been fossilized. Yeah, it takes so long to do it. I assumed that. Through their investigation, what they were noticing is, okay, there's probably a layer of recently dead things, hmm. and then below that, and maybe several layers down, and maybe if the, the earth there had, you know, churned up a little bit, they could tell there were also fossils. Well, except he, he actually does say, though, that it's mostly fossilized. Yeah. The animal life is mostly yeah. fossilized, which yeah. makes no sense to me, unless yeah. everybody knows just to stay away, in which case, that vine is hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it eats like a Venus flytrap, not, and not, not the DJ. I know that you were immediately thinking of him. Um, but, <laughs> no, you know, what's sad is I've actually changed so much. I understand what you're doing now. You're doing WKRP. I've actually changed good, so really much good. that I'm actually thinking um, like electronic dance music and things like that. Oh, and so wow. when you said not the DJ, I'm like, ooh, I have to look into this Venus flytrap yeah. character. He's a, ooh, is, is he like an Avicii? Yeah. Is he like a uh, is he like a, is like a dead mouse? Which, which by the way, would be, would be fossilized here. Will, will yeah. he be at what, Burning Man? Burning Man, yeah. No, he'll be at the Electric Daisy Carnival, dude, which I am oh, probably yeah. too old to go to now, sadly. But let's move on again. You're never too old, Ken. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, you know, a Venus flytrap, it, it'll eat every now and then. I was yeah. always fascinated by those. Like a, a fly or a spider flies in, and, and even they have sensors where um, it, it, if one of the little hairs, one of the little filaments gets tripped – it won't actually close up until another hair gets hit within 20 seconds. 
So it has like kind of a timing set into it so that then it closes up. So it doesn't expend too much energy when there's not actually a food source there. Hmm. So it closes up and eats and it can go like that for weeks, you know, and, and not eat. So, um, yeah, once it gets enough nutrition from a little fly or a spider or whatever, it can go along for a pretty good long time without having to do it again. Um, we, we mentioned it, but, you know, uh, Picard does a pretty good job of uh, dropping that bomb when he's having that conversation with Riker because it's a very short period of time. He just goes, uh, looks harmless, right? Yeah, it's deadly. <laughs> so You don't even want to. Yeah, I thought you were just being a layabout. I thought you were just malingering. But no, it turns out yeah. you're, you're going to die. Well, actually, let me bring the doctor over so that she can say it right in front of you. Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's a nice bit of dialogue at first because they, they have this sort of professional and personal respect. But then there's no softening the blow yeah. at all. At all, and I do have to say that it's really nice to see all of Riker's friends and coworkers stop by to say hello and cheer him up. And and by that, can I mean that nobody showed up other than Picard and Deanna? Yeah, yeah well, they, I, I assume this is a cost saving function that you were talking about earlier, right? Although, come mm-hmm. to think of it, they've already paid for Data in this episode, and they've already paid for Jordy in this episode. They've already paid for O'Brien in this episode. Yeah, so yeah. basically, the only ones that wouldn't have had to stop by are Worf and Crusher. Yeah. Uh, young Ensign Crusher, excuse me. Young Ensign Crusher, yeah. who, who, you know, just previously, Riker showed the, the trust in Young Ensign Crusher to bring him on his team for the war games. Yeah. You know? So you'd think at the very least, Crusher would be like, hey, that was great. Sorry, you're about to die. You but think they left think- him on the Hathaway? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Oh, we got everybody beamed up? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We just, yeah. <laughs> oh, Wes, oh. you forgot your experiment. You oh, better go back and get it. <laughs> we're so far away. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, remember that time I made that joke, in binary? That was funny. So amazingly stupid as it may sound to think um, that I learned something from this episode, I I have an idea about data from this episode. I'm wondering if he's so unfamiliar with things like jokes and turns of phrase because he has never been with a crew that was enlightened enough to treat him like a member of the crew. Hmm. Has he always been treated like, you know, weird freak robot? Nobody talks to him. Nobody jokes with him. Nobody does anything mm-hmm. with him. And now he's he's finally with people who are like, yeah, you're a guy. I mean, you're a robot guy, but you're a guy or a person right. or, a th- you know, come on. We're going to we're going to joke. We're going to laugh. We're going to play poker. We're going to do all this stuff. Because he's been around for like 26 years, but has he always been like, has he always been like a human? Well, not human. Has he always been like a robot <laughs> oddity that people sort of, you know, look at and, and talk furtively around, but not to? Sure. Yeah. And and yeah, I'm, I'm grasping for straws trying to find something in this episode, but it was honestly something that occurred to me, like as I'm watching it, I can't remember which part it was now, but there was, hmm. there was something where I was like, okay, why would he be this way? Well, maybe nobody's actually done this with him before. Although by the end of season two, he ought to be picking up on the idea of humor. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, he does have uh, a good interaction with Jordy when, mm-hmm. when they're talking about beaming down to the planet and Jordy says, well, hey, I need to go. And, and Data says, well, no, you don't. I'm, I'm the android here. I can't get hurt. Um, 
but then Jordy makes a good point. How do you know that it's not going to attack you just as it would attack me? To which he rightfully says that's unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, they, they have a, a nice sort of reasonable uh, and a conversation as equals. Uh, but, I, but I think those two have gotten along much better than, say, Data and Pulaski <laughs> up until now. You know? Yeah. Um, I thought that there was a genuinely interesting ethical question brought up by this episode. Mm-hmm. So Riker is dying. Okay. And Dr. Pulaski is doing everything she can to save him. And she discovers that negative thoughts and emotions work better to hold off the infection than positive ones. Now, she still doesn't know at this point if she can actually cure it. We're, we're just trying to do anything that we can, right? And I thought if she can't save him, is it better that he dies with negative thoughts or positive ones? So let, let's make it more current. You know, someone today is near the end. Mm-hmm. Is it better to let them be at ease even if, and we'll put it in quotes, happy, even happy if it cuts their lifespan shorter or better to let them suffer if they can hold on a little longer. Now, in the context of the TV show, we're, we're counting down the 48 minutes until we get to the end and Dr. Pulaski can pull out a cure and say, boom, we solved it or it worked. That's really all we're leading up to in this. Mm-hmm. This, this thing didn't work, so we'll try a little more and we'll keep trying a little more until it works. And we know we're going to sort of end up in that place. But I thought if you translate this to real world, mm-hmm. You could actually ask yourself that question. And, and Deanna, is, it, Deanna is feeling him suffering. She, acutely, she is feeling him suffering. And would she not say, look, if, if you can't cure this, why are you going to let him mentally suffer as well as physically suffer? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. Nobody is saying they can't cure this. They're saying they don't know if they can cure this. Pulaski thinks she can cure it, and so she's going to try it. It actually reminds me a little bit, and I know we joked about the Hathaway a minute ago, but it's, mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of your question of, so let's say they had actually blown up the Hathaway. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's say they had actually blown up the Hathaway. At least they were trying to do something. I mean, Pulaski in this case thinks she knows how to save Riker. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. There's honestly nobody to stop her. This is not like um, this is not like on ER or some other medical show where you know somebody actually knows the person is on the table, and so they're desperately they just keep you know charge it again, charge it again. You know this yeah. isn't like that. This is scientifically, I am not sure how to solve this, but I think I know how to solve it, so I'm going to go ahead and try it. Riker's not awake to answer the question, though. When you yeah. say let's bring it into today, and so then how would it be? Um, People make this decision all the time. I yeah. I had a family member, extended family member, a few years ago make this decision, and and his first course of action was, yeah, let's do everything we can, and he finally got to a point where he's like, yeah, we've done everything we can, and mm-hmm. and and there were still doctors going, we could we could we could keep trying, if you want to, and he decided no, that's not how I want to that's not how I want to finish up, right? Well, that, well, that's the thing. I mean, that was kind of my impression of it is. I get it that Pulaski is doing everything that she can. And there's still a learning curve there because she doesn't know everything about this infection. But like I said, the closest thing to a family member we've got is Deanna there, who not only is the closest to Riker, but she can feel what he is going through, Mm -hmm. which must be absolute torture. And now we could say something about the acting here that I feel like in in both cases, um, they're, they're both a bit earnest, particularly 
Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a bit over the top there. Um, but I kept thinking, you know, this written by somebody else in a totally different context and a totally different series. Because, again, it's not Joss Whedon where he's not just killing off characters left and right. Mm-hmm. But, but if that were even a possibility that you were to kill off this character in this show, is it right to just say, well, we're going to keep trying no matter how much anguish he's in? Well, you're forgetting, though, that they're actually seeing on a screen that it's working. Yeah. I mean, no, again, I, I, yeah. It's, not just, it's not just torturing the guy. You know, I mean, they're actually there's I mean, they're like because he's having happy memories. I know oh, that's great. But, you know, sadly, yeah, can't, this, can't have any more of that <laughs> eating more of him. Right. So let's yeah. give him really bad memories and maybe that'll help him, which which really speaks to a totally puritanical <laughs> sort of standpoint. No, no, no. You can be happy when you're dead. Yeah. But not before. But maybe we can come back to that in a bit. Yeah. Um, there was a fantastic uh, there was one of those lines in, in this episode. Uh, most life forms act out of an instinct for survival, not out of malice, uh, said Riker. He said he actually learned that from his time on the Enterprise and his time with uh, Jean-Luc Picard. I got to say, there, there, there's a... Uh, I know Riker was supposed to be sort of the Kirk stand-in in some people's minds, or maybe he was the Kirk stand-in in some people's minds. There is a bit of Kirk here, and yet I think Riker is actually better prepared for all of this than Kirk ever was. Um that paraphrasing what Riker said in this episode, facing death is the ultimate test of character. If I have to die, I'd like to do it with a little pride. Yeah. It reminds me of Kirk telling Savick, um, how we deal with death is as important as how we deal with life. Wouldn't you say? Of course, you know, we find out later in that, in that movie in Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan, quite possibly one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. And that Kirk was not quite so suave in the face of death because he never actually faced death. And we find out that in Star Trek two, and we find it out again, or at least he doesn't feel like he ever faced death. And we find it out again in Star Trek V, uh, which is not a great movie. But we find out his attitude towards death is, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die alone. And you guys were here, so I'm going to be fine. He's got blinders on as far as, uh, yeah. as far as life and death are concerned. And Riker, the only problem is we know that this is only a season finale. This is not a series finale. And we know that aside from Tasha Yar, nobody dies. So, I mean, there's never really a concern that Riker is going to die here. If we can sort of suspend that, though, for a moment and say, okay, well, let's think about, uh, let's consider the possibility that we can die. Because we're supposed to believe that the character is considering that possibility. He has an interesting way of dealing with it. I'm not saying any one way is right or wrong. I've not had to deal with that personally at this point, And I honestly have no idea how I would. But he's decided on a course of action. He's going to do it. I mean, he's going to remain a leader. He tells Deanna, look, this stuff is serious. And and I am second in command on this ship. People are looking to me to see how I'm going to handle it. And, And whether he thinks he's going to survive or not, he is thinking about what comes next for everybody else under his well, second in command ship or whatever you call that. What, I mean, what, what comes next for everybody else in the org chart. And, whether that's how people should react or how people would react, um, it is an interesting examination. He, I, don't, I didn't get the feeling that he was just being written as a Stoic. I got the feeling that he was considering whether or not he should be a Stoic and why, and then acting it accordingly. You know, that, that's really interesting because I, I was just thinking about the line that Riker had before about how his, his life is his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that to Minuet. Yes, he did. And – here he is now at the end of his life, and he has every right to not be in work mode. He's only there with Nyana. 
mm-hmm. you know, but Pulaski at some point is kind of behind that wall in the lab. And he has every right to just be uh, either afraid or concerned or whatever the rush of emotions might be. But he chooses to still be in work mode. And and I I don't mean that in a bad way. I I, I mean, I I think what you're doing is you're putting a much finer point on it here by saying that his concern is about everybody else on the ship. His concern is about how this goes down. Um, But again, there's nobody else in the room. Mm -hmm. Even Even if he dies, and even if Deanna and Pulaski are the ones who get to tell the crew yeah, he 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 died. Let's put it in Klingon terms. He died with honor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that's really all that anybody else needs to know. Um, well, I, as you say, though, I mean, yeah. you actually said it. He yeah. is his work. I mean, he yeah. said it, but yeah. I mean, you, you brought it back up. He is his work. He's not doing his job. He, yeah. is, he is his, his work, yeah, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is um, so. I mean, there's really not any way that he could be any different. Heck, even in the dream sequence or even in the memory sequence, when he goes back to, he is now leaving Deanna. Yeah. And while they have not acted on their emotions, their emotions have been obvious, but now he's leaving her and he's still not doing that much. I mean, they're, they're, they're having, they're having an almost British exchange about the whole thing. Like an almost <laughs> right. remains of the day kind of, yeah. are you sad? Should I be sad? Are you sad? Yes. Me too. Yeah. Let, let's hug. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but I mean, he accepts the threat of death, the, that it's inherent in the risk of, of doing the job. And he um, doesn't get mad at hammers. We, we learned that about Riker. Um, he doesn't get mad at hammers if he drops a hammer. Right. He right. gets mad at himself. Otherwise, it's falling. Do you think he goes, oh, hammer, please don't hurt me? <laughs> oh, gravity. Sorry. Yeah. I, but, but I don't know. I, I just I, I wondered if he needed to act tough and, and tough may not be the right word because he, he's not he's not pretending like he's not in pain mm-hmm. and he's not pretending like this is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he, he's turning on the charm and he's turning on the sense of humor. And those are good moments. I, you know, him telling the story to the uh, other medical technician about his what his grandfather or great grandfather bit by a rattlesnake and. Three days later, after intense pain and suffering, the snake died. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a very Riker thing to do. But I, I did just find myself asking, like, if this guy can turn, he can turn on the charm and he can turn on the humor. Can he also turn off the work mode? And, and how intimate, how deep of a conversation about that maybe fear or concern does he even get to have with Deanna? We cut back to a scene, as you just said. With this very stiff goodbye to Deanna. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, like, okay, maybe this is why Deanna broke up with him in the first place. Maybe the guy's not so good at truly personal emotions. Maybe he's always in work mode, remember, even if he's being fun and charming. Remember what uh, Korami said? Which was that? It was, you know, the whole, he's too jocular. He's too lighthearted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it is, it is part of who he is. I'm not saying he is too jocular or lighthearted in this. I'm saying it's, it's inherent in Riker. So. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, we may have more time uh, to assess Riker's character going forward. Boy, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. I, a couple of things that were interesting in this, because, uh, again, our, our listeners pointed this out. Um, when you dream, mm-hmm. you dream from your own point of view. Um, so that 
that's sort of one thing that that breaks throughout this is the the point of view of the camera um not to mention the places where Riker is remembering scenes that he was never a part of to begin with so he he he'll be dreaming something that happened on the enterprise while he was someplace else yeah you know um but i started to think about this and i and i thought that you know the mind is not a recorder the, the the mind is not a uh, it, it's not like a, a VCR where you just turn on the tape and you let it run and then when you want to see something you go back and you hit rewind and you hit play and then it plays back from the point of view of your eyeballs in your head. Pulaski describes this as a dream state and whether you are actively remembering something or dreaming something, your brain is essentially assembling that to fit the narrative of your life. Now. I, I don't know about you, Ken. I, I'm not somebody who I, I don't remember my dreams very well. I mean, once in a blue moon, and even then, I couldn't tell you the point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, am, am I in my head looking out at the things that are happening in the dream, or is is my point of view a camera somewhere else seeing me participate in that dream? Mm-hmm. But either way, wh- whether it's manufactured while you while you sleep. Or if it's something that you are actively doing and say, hey, tell me about your sixth birthday party, your brain is making that up as you go along. And that's why memories tend to change over time. So I kind of cut them some slack on that. But I thought it was an interesting thing to see for us because it's all played out very literal. (laughs) You know, we saw those episodes not that long ago and now we're seeing those same episodes play out exactly that way. Um, I, I I don't know. I kind of cut them some slack on that. Did, did you have any uh, – did, did that take you out of it or make you think too hard about it the way that I did? <laughs> no. I mean I guess the one thing that I would remind you of, and I guess we should remind everybody who's listening as well, you and I are watching this in a very different way. They did not yeah. get to – I mean there was a writer's strike as we pointed out all through the beginning of season two. People did not have week to week to week to watch this they had what 26 weeks to watch it i guess assuming that they actually skipped a couple for holidays and things like that um yeah. for the first season and they had only 23 uh weeks to watch it in the second season with the big hiatus in the middle for um for the writer's strike so you say we watched this not that long ago at the end of the second season to go back and say wow look how much data has changed or or wow yeah Riker didn't used to have a beard and right, stuff like right. that um that might actually make the the clip portions more forgivable. No, I didn't think about the whole memory thing at all because once, it, honestly, there were a couple of times when I was watching it where once they slipped into uh, showing the clips, I just started doing other things. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, remember that time I did have the show with an Irish accent? That was weird. Ken, I feel like we're back at Spock's brain all over again. When we started on Star Trek, the original series, when we started Mission Log, mm-hmm. people were emailing and, and tweeting and commenting saying, oh, oh, just wait until you get to Spock's brain. Yeah. And, and you and I did this show on Spock's brain and we said, you know what? It's not as bad as you think. Yes. It's a little, it's, it's a little different. It's a little weird. doesn't quite fit. But uh, but here we are faced with the same thing. Everybody has written in saying, oh, Shades of Grey, 
what a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and now we get to ask ourselves, is it really as bad as the reputation? And to us, does the episode hold up? So it, it's, it to you. Well, it's not as bad as people remember, I think, mm-hmm. but, but it's fairly useless. I mean, it, this could have been a great episode uh, had they not run out of money and time. This could have been a fantastic Q episode. Look, once we get Riker to the point of death, once we get Riker to lose consciousness, once mm-hmm. we have no idea how things are going to go for Riker, anything could happen when he slips into that dream state. And I couldn't help thinking, that'd be fantastic if Q showed up and, and actually made him a serious offer. You know, Riker, I was toying with you that time. I said that you could be a Q, but I've seen this and I've seen this. Heck, you even throw a few clips in at that point to show mm-hmm. how he's matured mm-hmm. and how he's changed. And then really present Riker with this with this totally honest, no strings attached. You You can be so much more and I can make that happen for you now. Right. Yeah. Um, could have been a great Minuet episode. If all of a sudden he has lost consciousness, he's not on the holodeck, but there's Minuet. That uh, sort of uh, go almost all that, not all that jazz. Yeah, all that jazz. Go almost yeah. all that jazz with yeah. it, where death is this beautiful woman that keeps courting Bob Fosse or the Bob Fosse character and all that jazz, right? Mm-hmm. This could have been that. Minuet could have been everything that Riker didn't have and everything that Riker wanted. And he's got a question, you know, is she real and does that reality matter? And what does it mean to, you know, to do something else? Could have been an episode with his dad, could have been an episode with Troy. In fact, Troy could have used her telepathic ability to sort of guide Riker through a lot of the stuff that he was going through. Yeah. But all of that would have required money and thinking. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, once, right. once he's close to death, anything can happen. And unfortunately, really nothing does. Um, and it's really odd that they chose to do this with Riker because Riker has not been a questionable character at this point. Unless maybe I don't remember this time well enough, but maybe there were people who were still debating the validity of the Riker character. I mean, to me, he's needed no justification at this point. And yet we get a, you know, first episode to recent episode reminder of who Riker is and how much he's grown. Except mm-hmm. he really hasn't grown that much. He started off as a fairly strong character, maybe a little earnest, maybe a little Boy Scout. Some of that's ratcheted down a tiny bit, but not much. I mean, we know him more now, and I think we like him more now, but there was no arc really uh, represented in the clips. It's just more like, it's like it's like the start of our show here, or like your yeah. recap. Hey, remember yeah. that time? Yeah, that was, oh, remember that time? Oh, yeah, that was. Oh, <laughs> remember that time? Oh, yeah, that was. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much, you know. Three-fifths of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't hold up as a production. As we talked before, there are good clip shows mm-hmm. and there are bad clip shows. And this is a bad clip show. And so far for Next Gen, this is probably the worst Next Gen episode that we have seen. Oh, and no. No, no, no. no. Come Code on. of Honor? Yeah, probably. Code of Honor? I'd go Code okay. of Honor. Maybe even into one. But oh, yeah, wow. yeah, this okay. was not, yeah, this no, this is not the worst that we've seen. Yeah, probably Code of Honor. Okay. All right. Um I, there were things about this that I liked. I I liked seeing and questioning how Riker will deal with death because mm-hmm. as you mentioned this is an interesting parallel to Kirk and um it, at least for those moments we get to say, "Huh, okay. Well, if, if the characters are treating this seriously, then um then i guess i have to too then i guess right right <laughs> but but is this what would happen and and is this how those characters behave so uh, that was all legitimate stuff to to look at but yeah the clips just simply don't work and it's too bad that the framework couldn't have been better because unfortunately the actual story 
is just exactly what I said before. It, it's uh, here's here's a disease, and we're just ticking off minutes until we cure the disease. And that's I, literally all it is. I, well, know? there is one thing that I would argue with on that, and mm-hmm. it goes to the whole message thing. And and you can take whatever message you want to from the way Riker handles death. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of me that would like to handle death the way that Riker did. There's a lot of me that would also take the first shuttlecraft and go to Risa. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, just, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, really? How much time? I got to run. Right. Um, the idea that our emotions and our reactions to them can have um, – physical effects seems almost elementary at this point, but this is, you know, shades of gray. So it's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a good attitude, uh, sadly, that's the one thing that's kind of a drag, like a good attitude leads negative results. Riker's memories of yeah, sex, right. for example, lead, lead, lend to negative results. Uh, it's a little sad, isn't it? It's terrible. It's yeah. absolutely horrible. But I mean, so let's let's just remove that layer from it and say the idea that our thoughts can affect our our our, our physicality or can affect our our outlook and well being. Um, like I say, maybe that's just elementary to me because I've been hearing that stuff since I was a kid on various levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's a decent message to take. Although, again, just you know pay no attention to the part where the good thoughts lead to bad things and the bad thoughts lead to good things. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's the unfortunate uh, side effect of that in this. And it also can, you know, sometimes the things that are trying to kill you aren't acting out of malice. Sometimes (laughs) a hammer is just a hammer. You know, maybe that plant was just as afraid of Riker as Riker was of that plant. Yeah. Did did he ever think of that? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Um, can we minute through a whole show without making a uh, Fifty Shades of Grey joke? I'm a little uh, yeah. Little I, I I cut the Fifty Shades of Grey joke from last week's show. You know what? I think that show. <laughs> I think that movie will be forgotten. It's long possible. After, long after Mission Log lives on. It's possible. Well, uh, I don't okay. know. It, long, it, long after Next Gen. It, it's <laughs> yeah. Maybe, well. It's titillating, though, and, and people do love a bit of titillation. Hey, uh, we should let people know that if they want to get in touch with us, there are a number of ways to do that. Um, but I already told people that, so let's not do it again. Do you want to do the other thing instead, where we tell people that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry? Well, do you? Yeah, I love that part. Oh, go ahead. Um, I love that part, and yeah. I love the fact that uh, you can find more at Roddenberry.com. Uh, all kinds of cool things to find at Roddenberry.com, including uh, links to the Roddenberry Foundation and uh, the fan census, which you can participate in. And, uh, of course, very cool products that you can pick up. So Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, please check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Season three of Star Trek The Next Generation is just around the corner. When we get to it, oh yeah, talking a little evolution. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Hey, remember that time I said you did not have to write in and say something nice about the computer? That was reverse psychology. And transmission. <laughs>